Welcome to your area. I'm here today with Tony Rohr, who's the National Managing Principal for Gould Evans. You know, and as I, uh, I'm always fascinated by what you do. You're always looking, you know, to the future uh, for your firm and and um, what we're building in the in the built environment. And you're a quiet firm, but it's absolutely amazing the projects that you're working on, not only here in Kansas City but nationally. And before we get into some of the really big topics, I, I'd really like to start here uh, in Kansas City. Um, you just renovated your headquarters here at 4200 Penn. For somebody that's been designing for all sorts of clients, and it comes down to moving after being in the same place for 30 years, that had to be a hell of a challenge. It was, and it was the classic, it was time to eat our own dog food. Um, <laughs> So having spent a lot of years working in workplace environments, we had an opportunity to take a lot of the things we had learned and worked with others and apply it to ourselves. And so we took, I dare say, we took the best, some of the best stuff that we had done with other people and, and lessons learned in terms of uh, ergonomics and furniture and natural light and the kind of spaces we knew worked really well with some of our clients and applied it to ourselves. Uh, and it was a, in, in it, we were really prepared for it to be, um, I think we were mentally, because we'd heard from other at other firms that you know designing your own place can be like super stressful. Everybody's got an opinion. Nobody's in charge, and everybody's in charge. And it didn't work out that way. We really handed it over to a younger group. They did a great job. Uh, we got plenty of reviews in terms of see what the, they were doing. But it was a it was a blast to do, and it was a blast to move into a new space. And it's a historic building. So you're reusing an old building and it, right in the middle of old Westport. One old, of the last historic structures in Westport was the old Plaza Laundry. And for people, and I didn't grow up in Kansas City, but for people who did, they will remember the Plaza Laundries. It had a huge uh, steel structure on top of the roof that said Plaza Laundry, not unlike um, some of the older buildings you'd see in, in Crossroads. Um, um, not Western Union, Western Auto, yeah. the Western Auto sign, not unlike that. I mean, not right. quite that scale, but it faced towards Broadway and Westport Road. And um, that building was the was a, a launderer, and it had it was right on the trolley tracks, so it was connected to Plaza and downtown. So we think that it was it did the major industrial laundry for uh, hotels in the Plaza and downtown right on the trolley tracks. Well, it, it's, it's you guys have done an amazing job. With it, it was incredible. You know, the uh, when we first went in there, it was a rabbit warren of spaces, and um, it, we had a, this very long odyssey of looking for new space because we'd been in Westport for so long. We wanted to like think about where we would actually go, so we looked at the River Market, we looked at Crossroads, we looked at downtown, looked. At, we wanted to make sure we were very open minded about it, and we had a certain series of criteria, walkability, restaurants, things that we, we got very spoiled with, and so we didn't really necessarily want to give up. So in the odyssey of looking at these different things, we actually tried to buy – we bought a building in the crossroads, and the deal fell through. And we had an agreement on a space in the river market, and the deal fell through because the owners of the building were getting a divorce. And then we had another opportunity for a building on Main Street, and the owners were – gigantic bifurcated group and they couldn't come to an agreement. Some wanted to do it and some didn't want to do the deal. And we ended right back in Westport where it all started. And um, it, so we just kind of felt like, okay, we're meant to be here. And we love the building. To have natural light on all, all four sides, all, all four directions is unbelievable. 
Um, we were able to take the money that we put into it and make sure it, it's it it's up to sustainability, the highest level of codes we could get from a mechanical standpoint, but it has operable windows. We didn't ask for any TIF. We didn't play the game of moving states to cross the state, even though that was an opportunity for us. So we're, we're you know we're very proud of what we did and what we accomplished. So um, how was you know you you designed it two years ago, moved in about a year ago. Um, and now we're going through what we're going through now. How is it fit for moving forward with the wellness of safety of your people? You know, we just, I got off a conversation about that today. So, so much of that environment was designed to be space for the community to use. We, the, the, the lower level is all kind of community coffee shop related spaces so that no one's work desk is on the lower first floor. It's all, everybody's on the second floor. And we've had a, it, we, we had had a routine of community groups using that space with, without charge, just because we wanted the community to use our environment and it's worked really well. And I don't know how we're going to do that again, at least for the interim. So um, it does get, it does give us room to spread out, which is great. Because we've had this conversation about, you know, now you have the choice. Now people are going to probably want more choices about where they work and do their heads down time, whether it's at home or at the office or at the office, but kind of on my own. So it gives us that variety, but we probably are not going to need as much kind of the conferencing as we capability as we built into it, at least for a while. Well, you have enough space to spread out, right? So that's that's we, the nice thing. And you also built an outdoor space. We talked about this the other day. Outdoor space was a luxury four months ago. It's almost a necessity now. We need fresh air. We need to be outside. And those those buildings that have that are in a unique position, don't you think? They are. And so um, we did create a couple different spots for some outdoor seating. I'm actually wondering, because there's a conversation going on right now about Westport making, uh, um, not Westport Road, Pennsylvania pedestrian only from basically our corner building over to Kelly's. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think one of the things we may discover is that we may not need as much dedicated parking. I would love to be able to pull up some additional parking and create even more outdoor yeah. patio space. And I've seen some restaurants doing that around town right now because they know the premium is going to be, if I can sit outside, I'd rather do that than inside. I know sustainability has been a big deal for you and a lot of architects. And it's, and it's always, you know, for the... It's always been one of those things that gets value engineered out of a building. But I think uh, sustainability means so much more than just the environment. And I think we're seeing that today. Sustainability is about is the supply chain sustainable? Is, you know, uh, is uh, your workspace sustainable in terms of health and wellness and all these things that were kind of lofty goals have a different relevance today, don't you think? I think they do. Um I've been communicating to our firm frequently about patience and resiliency. I mean, that, those are great words to use, and I think a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of firms probably saying the same thing. And we've always talked about the beat. We want to be nimble enough to pivot without whatever opportunity is coming along. But all of us, and I've, I'm routinely reminded, don't forget about sustainability in terms of fun, the fundamentals of sustainability for the work that we do with our projects. We're one of the firms that signed on to the 2030 challenge, which was to try, try to reduce um, carbon footprint by the by 2030 and dramatically reduce a 
substantially reduce the amount of energy used for the built environment by that date. So that is a constant for us in terms of like every single project. Not every single client is up for that. And we understand that we have to continually remind, especially younger architects that just think everybody should absolutely sign on for that. Because in some cases, as you get closer to closer to net zero, the, there are economic impacts of that. There, there just are. Um, and so, but there's a whole new level of sustainability, which means the sustainability of an organization or a business and the sustainability of a way of life. And I think all that kind of gets questioned right now because there's a lot of nervousness about what is work going to be like in a year or even six months as an outcome of some of the things that are happening right now. Because we, I'm trying to get our group prepared to understand that we track our work in 10 markets. And every one of those markets are going through some level of stress. And, I, and so what I'm challenging our people is that you've got to put yourself in their seat and understand what is the rock in their shoe right now? What, what are the things that they're trying to solve? And, it, and the solution probably isn't a new building, right? So what are the things that we can help them solve or help them figure out and, and, and take your hat off for a moment about just being an architect trying to do a great building? That's not always an easy conversation to have because there's a lot of people that that's what they went to school for, and I appreciate that. In terms of the nimbleness of what we have to do in our profession, what's next, you, you, we have to be way, way more flexible in terms of how we're going to help solve problems. I think that expanded definition of sustainability is interesting, and, and you really did walk the walk, which was you didn't take state incentives. You didn't play that game because it's not, a, it's not sustainable for states to continue to do that. So, uh, again, sustainability, sustainability is at a lot of different levels. Let's before we go into some of these other topics. Um, let's talk about the Cerner campus and you know what you've learned from Cerner as a client. They've they've been a client for a long time. Um, you're involved in their three and a half million square foot campus. Um, that's an ongoing process. Um, they're a healthcare technology company run by data driven people, um, and that affects design. Talk about that a little bit. So from the very beginning of working with them, they, they were very clear that they wanted design decisions to be intentional about them and what they were trying to do. And so they did not want us to bring um, solutions to them that, you know, came out of a magazine or something we'd done before or, you know, they wanted it to be about who they were and what they were trying to do. And they used that to be able to talk about themselves as an organization with their recruits, with their clients, with people of interest to them. So everything from the skin on the building and the patterning of it, starting with um, the original use of ones and zeros at the, at the main world headquarters to the kind of pure data patterning on the buildings at continuous campus to the uh, stylized data patterning that was on innovation campus, which was the, the newest campus you're talking about. Uh, right down to the address 1024 and 2048, which are which are computer uh, terminology terms, which are com- which is code uh, mapping, which um, was you know for people that are because that is a that is the campus where software development is happening, and so when they bring recruits in, trying to recruit the the best and the brightest, they wanted they wanted them to understand that this is was they're going to be their home where the great next level of software development was going to happen. So um, when you go into the main lobby of 1024, 
um, they have, and this was one of our ideas, is, is they had challenges. How can we make the mission of what we're doing here on this campus live for everybody every day? So when you walk in there on this gigantic screen, we had shown them how they could program that so that every day it has live information about the things that they are doing as an organization. They took their engineers further with that idea, and they had already written some scripts to do this, where there's live interactions of of patient data with and interactions of data with hospitals and Cerner live across the world going on being mapped. There's a tracker at the bottom that goes live sepsis hits happening around the world. That Cerner offered free sepsis, I'm going to call it sepsis awareness software, I'm butchering the name, provided to, for free to any anybody in the world, any hospital system, doesn't have to be a client, to eliminate sepsis as a a pretty major risk factor for any patient because sepsis is easy to treat if it's at, if it's found early enough. If you let it slide, you can you can there's nothing you can do to bring somebody back from a septic situation in a hospital. Well, Neil Patterson lost a family member to sepsis that didn't need to, which was completely unnecessary, and he made it his cause that they were going to they were going to offer that free to any of their clients. And now you can go in there, you can see how many sepsis hits are happening across the world with different clients and non-clients that are using that software. There's a huge patent wall um, in there where we took probably one-fifth of all the patents they've, they've had, and in one wall, just like it's like this beautiful mosaic of all these patents with all these spaces for the next patents that come. So when they take recruits there, they can show them like this. It's monumental, right? It's stunning. And then you see like these empty spots, like, hey, we're waiting for the next ones, right? This is what you could be a part of. All the perf metal on the, on the railings that are on the side are all written in ASCII code. ASCII code being the code language. We actually had an architect who had written ASCII code and, did, and he helped write scripts and he can do coding. So in there are quotes from Neil and Cliff and some of the founders in the metal panel. And so if they bring you as a recruit in there, you... You should be able to read what that ASCII code says oh on God. the rail. <laughs> and if you can't, yeah, like, well, they send you home. What else did you want to do? <laughs> hey, I want to jump to uh, higher education, um, and I want to talk to you about – I know you, your, your firm met with a futurist, Brian Johnson at ASU, on the future of student housing. But I think before we go there, let's talk about university college campuses. Um, they were starting to lose um, – the number of students that were enrolling every year uh, over the past couple of years, just because of the recession of 2007, right. less kids were getting born. Um, they were spending more and more time, more and more money on their facilities and their enrollments were going down. Um, with what we're going through now, they're going to get hit again. Um, talk about um, the state of college campuses and what you're hearing from them and what you foresee happening. Well, the, to that point, that is um, – Dennis Strait in our office started an initiative here in Kansas City about um, designing and maintaining the cities that we have, making smart decisions about our cities. We've, we've tried to take that look also to the standpoint of working with campus systems. Higher education has been 30 to 50 percent of our work for 25 years, so we love higher education community colleges all the way through across the country. 
And so we've, and when you work with them, you start to get kind of a front row seat of all the things they're dealing with. So again, not unlike what I was trying to explain before in terms of one of the things I, I'm proud about the firm is that we hire a group of people that are pretty, I call, we say intellectually curious. We actually put that on our review forms with people about their intellectual curiosity. We want them to understand the, the underlying outcomes of what we're trying to do. What is the reason why this project exists, no matter what that project is? Understand it from the standpoint of those constituents. And understand it from the standpoint of, it's so in this case, it's the, the constituents say, okay, higher education. Well, let's understand it from their constituents, which are you and me as parents sending kids to school. What's our perspective on that in terms of the cost and the value, the value structure of that? And so what you were all reading about is like, okay, do I really want to send Johnny or Sally away to school to study online? Mm, not sure. Yeah. Yeah, like what's, what, what is that tuition? What is that total cost? Yet we both know that there is an incredible educational value to being on campus, the socializing aspect, social skills, soft skills, the ability to work together, work through things. And I'm not just talking about coursework. I'm talking about navigating classes, navigating instructions, meeting with instructors. There's, there's a certain maturity that comes along with it that I don't think you get when you study at home now. This, so we know there's declining population because of the low recession. We also know that on cross campuses, there's become the inflation of uh, the building of campus over time and having a large footprint which takes a lot of cost to maintain over time. And what happens routinely, happens with cities, is that gets deferred. All those costs get deferred over time. Because all those donations are to build new. Not right. to, it's not an endowment to, to keep it up, right? Because X University goes, Tim, we want to build Schaefer Hall. And Tim Schaefer says, well, I don't want to put my name on in uh, deferred maintenance <laughs> and stormwater <laughs> management. <laughs> Maybe right. I would. Well, maybe you're, <laughs> you're one of the enlightened ones then. Um, so sure, I mean, and uh, you, and then the, the, in terms of the fundamentals of how they've all operated, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets. They also have kind of a challenge that if you were not, you and I were running, okay, if you run it like a business, you would use the space to its maximum capacity during the entirety of the week, eight to five, eight to six, eight to nine. There's a lot of buildings that are only full from 10 to 3 because that's the only time when the majority of people want to take classes and teachers want to teach. Well, that's not a good use of space. So right. there's a utility utilization aspect of space. And I think if you're really stressed in terms of the, that e the economics aren't working, you have to take a step back and think about, okay, well, what are the assets we have and how are we going to use them to the highest level we can? And that might mean spending money on different ways in terms of renovations and, you know, I don't even want to say some things you might need to do depending upon the situation at right. that, that institution. Yeah. L well, that flows kind of into student housing. I know your firm spent some time with Brian David Johnson right. uh, at ASU. He was like the the like the, t the, the future, I, I don't know, they call him a sustainability officer, but it's really, it's a futurist on staff at Intel to let, and he was kind of like the, the grist in the mill. He was he was the guy that was always bringing up, you know, what if this happened? You know, what are those things that could potentially happen that could really be devastating to our business? Um, and you had a chance to spend t some time with him. Yes, and so there was a group of we we had been doing a. It, it's ongoing and it's almost it's to be completed. 
later this summer, a fairly large student housing project in the uh, University of S San Francisco. And um, that led us to American Campus Communities, ACC. I think they're the largest in the country in terms of student housing, development of student housing. And it was their idea to have a workshop on the future of student housing so that they could start thinking about what the future students, and they didn't mean, they didn't mean like the incoming freshmen. They, they were talking about the student who's 12 today. And what is the housing solution for them going to look like so we can start thinking about that? And so they convened this group. Now, I wasn't there. I've heard about it, and I've been, I've been behind the scenes pushing for us to like, okay, tell me what the outcomes of that are. So uh, they had Brian David Johnson there to be the futurist to kind of stir the pot in thinking about it. I guarantee you a pandemic did not come up in the conversation about what is the future of student housing. Um, so uh, they've been thinking about from the standpoint of what is going to be the integration blend between student housing and learning because there's always been a separation. We, we, I mean, we've always known that there's like there's the housing district of the university and then there's the educational district. Well, maybe those are going to get blended in the future. Um, I think with the current situation, knowing that when the, you know, basically from spring break on, universities had to figure out what to do about to have cl cl classes or not. They also had a situation where they had a lot of students in their student housing complexes, some of which immediately kids went home and some that couldn't. And they had to house some of them and figure out how to safely do that. Well, I think that's going to influence how they think about the number of students per room, the number of rooms per floor, amount of, just like you and I talked about, the amount of outdoor space. Uh, a, because a traditional student room probably isn't a great place to hang out indefinitely and kind of stay at home condition. Right. Um, so I think all those things may influence the way student housing operates in the future in terms of what that model needs to look like. But again, I think there's a f there's probably a first conversation about what a student, what does higher ed need to do to get um, to get back an equilibrium in terms of going forward that student housing will play right. a part of. So what your education team is working with UDL, Universal Design Learning, what is that? Universal Design for Learning is an organization that uh, focused on the whole student and learning for all students rather than a one-size-fits-all approach to teaching and learning, um, a methodology that changes the way space is used and the way teachers teach and the way kids have a chance to learn on a, in a path that is more custom to themselves. So we got involved. One of the UDL leaders is, um, has been at the University of Kansas. And so we got involved. Our, our learning, our education team got involved with him. We developed this deck of cards, playing cards, as a way to take UDL principles about learning and teaching, some of them geared towards students, some of them geared towards teachers, some of them geared towards space, and allow teachers in a group setting not to play a game of pitch, but to play a game where you're taking different cards and you're trying to apply them together in terms of, of things that you think would be important. The cards became a great tool for them to be able to communicate with each other that they're not architects or interior designers, but it became a great learning tool for them, and they loved it. And in fact, they wanted blank cards so they could fill out their own aspects of learning that they thought should belong in the deck. And so this UDL Gould Evans um, learning deck has become a great tool for us. UDL loves it. 
that has led to us doing the first UDL-sponsored school being designed right now in California and the Bay Area. And so it's under it's under design right now, and it's going to apply all the UDL lessons to. Is it a private uh, school or is it a public school? It's a public school. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting to see all that that coming together. And so I, I'm like, again, like in my position, I I have to be, I choose which projects I really want to get involved in. This is one of those things like I'm super excited about, but I'm not involved in day to day. So I'm like, I'm, I'm an interested observer in terms of how this comes about and there's a whole group of people working on it. It's pretty exciting. So I'll tell you that some of those same lessons are being applied to school projects we're working on here in the, in the Kansas City Metro as well. So a um, lot of talk about affordable housing. No one really has any answers. It costs as much, or it just doesn't cost a whole lot more to build market rate than it does affordable housing. So it requires a lot of subsidy. Um, you're involved in you know market rate housing, uh, affordable housing, uh, even even single family housing. I know that's part of your practice. Closing up today, um, if you could talk a little bit about your thoughts on the future of housing in the United States. Okay, so I feel like I'm going to be talking about housing with somebody who knows it like five times better than I know housing. So um, the housing work we've been doing, which has been Primarily in Kansas City, Phoenix, and San Francisco, um, has been market rate housing, and sometimes there's a affordable housing component necessary to it. Um, and in a place like San Francisco, we're doing our first high-rise project, market rate housing. It's under construction; it's continuing, um, and so we know there's a a gigantic need for it, a continuous need for it in those locations. The uh, one of the aspects that we're looking at is the there has to be a different solution for what is market rate, really what is market rate housing, and is there a different solution? And I and I'm I'm, I'm going to guess it it eventually gets down to construction costs, because that's what drives whether or not it's something is an affordable product or not. Right. Um, and and I, housing, like we were talking about before, housing is a reflection of our economy. It is a reflection of the economy. It, I, I, I have read it so many times in terms of as housing – there was an economist that was on a podcast, listening to a podcast from the, the Economist or the AIA's national, AIA National at DC. His name's Kermit Baker. And he and the economist for the American in, um, Contractors AGC, American General Contractors, those two economists were both talking. And they both were looking at some of the market studies about things that are potentially going to happen over the next 12 months. And they said – if the GDP is really that low, that affects that is going to have that is going to have a continuous drag from an employment standpoint. People being unemployed or underemployed is the biggest determinant whether there is a need for housing. So you've got to look at the employment before you look at the housing, and the housing is the number one driver of our GDP. So it's cyclical. You got to get employment back to drive housing, and housing drives the, the GDP numbers to get back up to a positive sign. So. I think the current situation probably is, you know, I, I'm anxious to visit with people like you to see what you see from a market housing standpoint in terms of, oh, there's lots of projects under construction and continue to. Is there still a need for that or is it, is it at targeted areas? And we don't know yet, right? It's too soon. I think we're all delusional hoping that everything's going to snap back, but no one really knows. So 
um, it's going to take a few months for this all to sink in and see really where we are. I don't think any anybody that says they have an answer really doesn't know. Yeah, and so and I, I am waiting for – there's going to be a report from the work that we did with Brian David Johnson for American Campus Communities. I'm happy – I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting that to come out and be able to share that with you uh, and others in terms of – because um, – that is going to be hopefully a first look at some – again, that's geared towards student housing, not market housing. But to me, that's part of like trying to understand what's next because for, for leaders in an organization, that's what you've, you've got to be thinking about, how you pivot and move to what's next. It's going to be different. Tony, thank you. Thanks, Tim.